BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Astros Baseball. Joining me and Tom tonight... Ari Alexander, sports writer, not sports writer, but uh, anchor, sports anchor. Ari, what's up, buddy? How's it going, guys? Good to be here. Good evening, Ari. I'm a big fan. Uh, once upon a time, I thought I'd do the whole sports anchor thing, and uh, my skills just weren't suited for it. So <laughs> I'm dying to to pick your brain a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Let's go for it. Yeah, see, see, I live in San Antonio, so I was—I I didn't write it down, but I was trying to think of what channel you were with and all that. But I, I don't know. I just know you from Twitter, and uh, I see your tweets, and the stuff you talk about is very interesting, and they all are perfect topics for this podcast, and that's why I invited you on, and I really do appreciate it. The first thing I want to talk about is this. You posted a video about the uh, Christian Javier extension and Mm -hmm. why Dana Brown made it a point. Talk about how important that was for the Astros uh, to extend Christian Javier. Well, it's huge because he's got probably the highest ceiling of any pitcher on the Astros. He's a guy that had almost 12K per nine last year. He had big playoff performances, and it's a huge stage for him, right? The ALCS performance against the Yankees, a World Series performance, and he's a young guy. Not a ton of major league experience, not a ton of big game experience to where, you know, this team who is supposed to win a World Series is relying on you to go out there and give a good start. And he just, he didn't blink. He went out. There's a reason they call him El Reptil. He went out there. He was unhittable against the Yankees. He was literally unhittable against the Phillies. And I think that showed that that's the guy you want. It's not just a guy who's going to do it well in the regular season. He's obviously now earned where he is a full-time starter, no more of this is he going to be a long man? Is he going to be, you know, your your fireman or whatever? No, this guy is a, an upper tier starting pitcher. Uh, I said that I think he's a 2023 Cy Young candidate. He's a trendy pick. I'm not the only one saying that. Um, he's just got a lot of skills. The only drawback with him is that he only throws two pitches. And so far, that's really worked for him. So if you believe that his fastball is good enough, which by all metrics it should be, his slider is good enough, which by all metrics it should be, that he can get through the league with just those two pitches. And you can always add a changeup or a curveball, which he's thrown here and there just, you know, 10% of the time he doesn't throw those two pitches. And so far it's worked great for him. The price was right. $21 million in those two years, those two final years that they have, the free agent years they bought out. That's pretty good going rate for a free agent starting pitcher. I mean, you look at guys, older guys, because you're getting this guy only until he's 30. You're paying for his 
28, 29 seasons, uh, it's like Nathan Evaldi's getting 18 million a year, guys like that. And so you're at 21 million a year for prime seasons of a guy who hasn't hit his ceiling yet, whose ceiling is basically Cy Young, whose ceiling we saw in the World Series, which is the Phillies have an excellent lineup and they didn't get a hit. Yeah, you're going to pay for that. So it's a great deal for the Astros. It's 54 million for Christian Javier. And then he hits the market again at 30 and could conceivably sign if he keeps pitching well, you know, a six year, 150 plus million dollar deal. And then he could retire with over $200 million in the bank. Tom, do you have anything you wanted to add about uh, Christian Javier? Yeah, I guess the one question I would have is like, do you think that the fact that he's just two pitch pitcher and that his pitch counts get up in games will limit his ability to reach that that ceiling that we talk about? Like he'll never be a Cy Young caliber guy because he won't have the gaudy numbers that some of the Cy Young guys have? I don't think so because in innings, like look at Justin Verlander won the Cy Young last year. He didn't throw a gaudy amount of innings. Guys don't throw that many innings anymore. It's really only Sandy Alcantara in the National League. Fromber was up over 200. I mean, Fromber led the AL and had like 201 innings. So at this point, you know, you had um, Javier threw 148 last year and he didn't even start the full season. He only made 25 starts. If you throw five starts of 30 innings, now he's pitching the same amount of innings as Verlander. Pitched to a 254 ERA last year and he was shuttling between roles at the beginning of the year. You have a guy who, again, at his peak, could realistically be 30 starts, 175, 180 innings, 220 ERA, 220 strikeouts. A 12K per nine is you know is insane for a starting pitcher and he hit that last year he almost had 200 strikeouts last year in less than 150 innings i think the numbers will easily be good enough for him to get legit Cy Young consideration what do you think a framer valdez contract would look like uh probably less than the first report that came out um from hector gomez out of the dominican because of his age framer's already 29 and so if you're giving him like a six-year extension, you're paying him through age 35 and prime years for a pitcher, you know, it's 31, 32, 33, something like that. So I just don't think you'll get to 150, especially because so Fromber's a super two player. He has two more years of arbitration left after this. This is only his arbitration two season. So realistically, if you're looking for next year's 2024 is his arbitration three season. Say he has another good year. You're paying him 12 to 14 million. Year after that, his final year of arbitration, his fourth year, 16 to 18 million. And then his free agent seasons, uh, Javier just got paid 21 mil a year for his free agent seasons. We're going to say 24, 25 for Framber Valdez. So 14 plus 18 is 32. Four seasons of 25, that's 132. That still comes up short of that 150. And even then, for an extension, you might not go that high. So realistically, five years, get him through 34, three times 24, 72 plus the 32, five at 100. You could something like that. <laughs> uh that's awesome math i just i guess when we start talking about re-signing people and bringing guys back do you feel like there's a potential for somebody to get to be the odd guy out him a fromber or keedy uh bregman tuve one of these guys just because of where they're at in all of this if i had to if i had to predict out of that whole group i would say it's kyle tucker I think Jose Altuve is an easy re-sign because he's, he's, uh, his contract's up at 34. Yes. He's going to have a market because he's a future hall of famer and, and he's a great player, but I think he wants to stay here. I think the Astros will do what they need to keep him here. Something like, and I've said this on Twitter, something like a three year, 70 million, three year, 75 million deal, get him through age 37. Can even go four 100. That's, I think that's going to work all the way around. 
Alex Bregman is interesting because Alex Bregman is going to be expensive and he's going to be even more expensive now that Manny Machado got 350 million. And I think what becomes important that Manny Machado did not get 350 million on the open market. He got 350 million in an extension, which raises the price on what Alex Bregman can get. I have long said he's a $200 million player. So is Kyle Tucker. If Jim Crane wants to go all out and just like do what the Mets are doing, that'd be great. doesn't seem realistic. But you need to re-sign Romper Valdez, who's going to be a $100 million player. Uh, Jose Altuve, who will be a $70-plus million player. Bregman's a $200 million player. Cal Tucker's a $200 million player. That's a lot of money. On top of, you're now, you'll be paying uh, Jordan $26 million a year once he hits his free agent years. 21 for Christian Javier. 2026 is going to be an expensive season. So I think it's going to be very tough to re-sign Cal Tucker. You could probably keep the other three guys, get creative, um, you know, you get some other guys off the books here and there, Brantley and whatnot. Uh, Pena could potentially be due for an extension in a year or two once you start getting toward the arbitration stuff. But yeah, I think there is an odd guy out. I, I would be shocked if they keep everyone. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, totally. And not because of the uh, the problem he had with the arbitration, but it's just... You know, Dana Brown said, I want Altuve and Bregman to be Astros for life. And me and Tom talked about this, and I asked him, who would you rather have? Let's say they both cost the same, same amount of years. Who would you keep, Altuve or Bregman, as far as making your team better, not with your heart? That's tough. Um, I think Bregman, because he's he's there longer, right? I know Altuve is the fan favorite. He's the face of the franchise. He is going to be a Hall of Famer. But Jose Altuve at the end of his deal is 34. Alex Bregman is 30 and going on to 31. So you have a elite third baseman for the next seven years, right? Versus Altuve plays second base and which is a less, you know, important position. And he's already 34. So I just think on the basis of age, you go Bregman. Do you think Bregman would accept, sorry, Tom, do you think Bregman would accept some kind of I, I guess not because he already makes a lot of money, you know, to kind of to kind of go in a little low and then and then jump up super high when Altuve leaves or something like that. I mean, maybe, but the AAV <laughs> would still be huge on Bregman. You got to keep in mind, Bregman's deal looks really nice overall. The one that he's on now, five years, hundred million, makes twenty a year. Well, it goes 11, 11, 28, five plus signing bonus, twenty eight five plus signing bonus. This year, Alex Bregman is making thirty point one million. All right. Altuve is making 26. Why would in the prime of his career, Alex Bregman try to make less than the yeah. 30 million he does now, or at least significantly less. I'm realistically seven years, 200 million is like a starting point. And he could even go longer. Look at the Machado just signed an 11 year deal to take him through age 41. Bregman, if he signs an extension next year, will be 30. He could sign an 11 year deal at 200, whatever million. So less AAV, but he, he will go for over 200 million easily on the open market. And now with what Machado got in an extension, I would not be shocked if he gets to 200 million. So I felt, I've always felt like Bregman might be the odd guy out for all the points that you just made. And like, if I was going to make a comparison as to who I'd rather keep out of two players, it'd be something like Bregman and Tucker, where I would think that Tucker would be the more valuable commodity. And if you're going to spend big money on one of them, it would be something like, give me Tucker and his youth and, and try to find a third baseman. So I've always thought that Altuve being a face of a franchise, he was going to cost you less and he'd be somebody that would stick around. 
but that if you had to compare guys, something like a Bregman to Tucker deal might be more of where I would see one of those guys. So if you had to choose between those two, uh, considering that you could get there, I guess, I guess would that change it at all? Would still be Tucker being the odd guy out? Probably just because, and and, you know, Tucker, I would change my mind because it makes the same point in terms of he's the younger guy. He plays a, a, you know, fairly good position, you know, right field is a relatively premier position. He's a gold glover, but I just think that there are skills that Alex Bregman brings that Kyle Tucker does not. Kyle Tucker is excellent at everything. He is a $200 million player, but he's not necessarily the best in the league at anything. He's really, really good at everything. He is one of the best outfielders in the league, but you don't look at Kyle Tucker and go, here's a skill he has that is better than literally everyone in baseball. Alex Bregman's eye and Alex Bregman's play discipline is 100th percentile. It's him and Juan Soto, and that's basically it. Juan Soto is the only guy in the league that can make an argument to Alex Bregman for a better eye, for better play discipline, for better pitch recognition. Kyle Tucker is just a very good player who's good at a whole bunch of different stuff. Alex Bregman has a literal best-in-class skill. So that's where I think it's different. It's also a skill that ages better because worst case scenario, he's still going to get on base all the time. He still plays solid defense. His guys, he was a converted shortstop. I mean, he's, he knows, you know, how to now, especially that he had the soft tissue stuff last season in 2021, he kind of has a better idea of how to keep his body in tune. And I think that you can replace Kyle Tucker as with an outfielder that does a bunch of good stuff to a lesser degree than Kyle Tucker, then you can replace Alex Bregman to where he has one specific best in class skill. Yeah. That's how I feel like Alex Bregman. When we had our discussion would be the hardest guy on the team to replace in my opinion. Probably. And when we're talking about like extending and keeping all these guys, I I really didn't think about Framber Valdez being that old and he might not be someone that they have to spend a lot of money on or maybe not a whole like a long contract so overall what do you think the odds Bregman and Altuve are Astros for life talking to you I'm in the high 80s now yeah no I I think they are I I don't see why first of all the Astros are still under the luxury tax right now by fairly significant amount I think they have another 30 million until they get to the luxury tax Jim Crane has said before I have to go over the tax to keep winning. I'll do it. He hasn't done that yet, but he's seems to be relatively open to at least the idea and isn't, isn't going to hamstring the team. Plus if the Astros keep winning, you will make money. Look at the, uh, the space city jerseys. I remember the first week that came out, I got like a PR email from the Astros that said, Hey, these things are selling 477% better than every other team's Jersey. They're, you know, they're uh, whatever, like a city connect Jersey. Well, yeah, the Astros are good. So, of course, people are going to care. The jersey looks good. It's not my favorite one of the group. I think the Nationals one with the cherry blossoms is cool. There's another one I thought that was really cool. But the Astros killed all of them in sales because they've been super good for six years. And so you've now built this buzz where everyone in Houston cares. They keep winning. Your feelings about the team, if you're a fan, are positive. You see merch, you're going to buy it because your feelings are positive. And I think you want to keep that going. I think people are tied to Jose Altuve. People are tied to Alex Bregman. And in the long run, yes, you're going to spend a whole bunch of money keeping them, but tax is going to keep going up. Your revenue is still good because you keep winning. You keep guys who are good clubhouse guys. Those are clubhouse leaders. You don't necessarily want to take them away. Cal Tucker, good guy, quieter guy. 
is less of a clubhouse leader than an Alex Bregman. Alex Bregman's the guy who's putting together the Vegas trip to go to the UFC fight that Cal Tucker comes on, but Cal Tucker's not putting the trip together. So it's different. Bregman is more, you know, more the leader. And so that's the kind of guy you want. I think it's very possible. And especially because Dana Brown has now come out and said publicly, we want to keep these two guys that puts pressure on Jim Crane to come up with the money, which I think he can They'll get creative. Michael Brantley makes a lot of money. There are relievers that can come off the books. Ryan Presley makes a lot of money. And I love Ryan Presley, but at some point, you know, Brian Abreu could be the closer. You got other guys in the minor league system who throw 100. You can figure out relievers. Relievers are good year to year. You can figure that out without having a $15 million closer. There are places the Astros can be fine. American Giant makes the durable, comfortable spring closet staples you need for work, the gym, and even happy hour. Made in America. Designed to last a lifetime. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20. Speaking of pitching, who do you think steps into LMJ's role early on? I mean, Hunter Brown is quite clearly the five, and this is where my concern comes in is that past that, what do you have? You have Forrest Whitley, who you have no idea what he is. I saw him live last year in AAA and he was just nibbling around the zone and like the velocity is impressive, but he'll, the command isn't necessarily there. The pitchability isn't necessarily there. You have Sean Dubin who got hit around today, who I've seen once or twice in AAA and it's throws super hard, but I don't really, you know, know if he projects as a starter. You have JP France, who's already sort of been moved into more of a bullpen role who started for a while in AAA. Um, like Tyler Ivy. I don't even know if he's still on the team made a start a couple of years ago I'm trying to think who else is even like Brandon Belak. I have very little trust in, in terms of a long-term role as a starter. So past Hunter Brown now, and you got to hope that Lance comes back relatively quick within a month or two. You don't really have much depth. I, I mean, I've talking this for a couple of weeks, signed on Ibal Sanchez. He made 2 million last year on the nationals, made 11 starts, pitched to a four two eight ERA. Peripherals weren't great. But if you got Anibal Sanchez going in there and giving you, five innings of three-run ball for two months, you're fine. To add to that, do you think that uh, Hunter Brown's innings limit will be, say, 150, something like that? Like, that's going to be a concern as well? Probably, because um, he hasn't thrown that many innings over the, the past few years, and that's where you want a six-man rotation. I, I've advocated for the six-man rotation the whole time because four of those six guys need to be limited in some capacity. Robert Valdez and probably Luis Garcia are the two guys that you don't have to worry about whatsoever. They're going to throw a bunch of innings. They're fine. Whatever. Jose Arquiti always has some sort of linger something and needs to be limited in innings. Lance McCullers clearly has some sort of lingering something that needs to be limited in innings. Um, Christian Javier just set a career high at 148 plus his playoff innings. So you want to probably keep him under 180 or roughly around there. And then Hunter Brown has never had really extended starting work. So I think that you just let him go early in the year. And as soon as Lance comes back, you got six guys and then hope it works out. And if you need to shut down Hunter Brown for a little bit or put him in the pen for a month or whatever, I don't see why that would be a bad option. So you think they're going to go with five starters while Lance McCullers is out? I mean, who would be the sixth starter? No, I don't know. I'm just. That's yeah. That's I think that they, they could have realistically gone with six and Dusty has mentioned like, yeah, we were expecting Hunter Brown to contribute in the starting rotation. But at this point, you're going to have Brandon Belak in the sixth starter. I mean, I just don't see it right now. And again, unless you decide that, hey, the sixth starter thing worked for us last year. We want the depth. We want a Jayco to Rizzi type guy. We'll go out and get 
like Dylan Bundy, Chris Archer, or Anibal Sanchez, or one of the three guys that can just eat a start for a month and a half or two months or whatever. But as of right now, I just unless like Forrest Whitley, who again got hit up again today, comes out of nowhere and is like, all right, fully ready to contribute to the major league level, you have five starters. Would you bring Brian Abreu out of the pen and stretch him out? No. Brian Abreu is a future closer. And I think that that covers a lot of, especially early in the season where your guys are your starters are not going to go as deep in the game where you can get five innings out of Christian Javier, where he's throwing 93 pitches or whatever. And then you go to Naris Stanek, Montero, Presley, Naris, Abreu, Montero, Presley, Stanek, whatever, right. You're shut down. And so I think that saves a lot of the starter innings. I wouldn't stretch out Abreu because I think that you have a guy who fairly cheap for the next few years, Brian Presley will be leaving in the next couple of years. He's got a couple of years left in his contract as a closer. I know they re-signed Montero and he's got a little bit of closer experience and Dusty likes him in that role, but Brian Abreu is probably your future closer. So I wouldn't stretch him out. Do you remember your thoughts about Abreu at the beginning of the year compared to at the end? Yeah, they were, my thoughts were, this is just like a guy who throws hard, who can't command his stuff. And then at the end of the year, he's lights out. I mean, you look at his savant stats, they're insane. He throws high spin, 98 mile an hour fastball, high spin, got that sweeper slider that everyone throws. He's unhittable. By the end of the year, he had like a sub two ERA and, and no one could touch him in the playoffs. Uh, I think he's better than Rafael Montero. I don't know, you know, in terms of role, because Dusty loves Montero. So Montero probably keeps that eighth inning role. Stanek is good enough for sure to be in the seventh inning, but like Abreu took his spot. Brian Stanek got a 0.6 ERA in the first half and got usurped by Brian Abreu because Brian Abreu was better. He's gotten to a point where he's unhittable, basically. Yeah, I suggested him because I know he started as a starter and then I str- he struggled. They made him a reliever. And now clearly that looks like where he sh- he belongs. But with the things being that they are, of all the guys in the pen that could probably come out of the pen, he would be the first name that I would think that would have, you know, the skills, the pitches to do it. I think there, there are some guys that have that background, but teams also, they want to keep, and I'm not saying the Astros are doing this, but like teams want to keep your price down. Right. So if you move him back to a starter and it, uh, what if it messes with him? Right. Like what if, what if it screws up his mechanics? Cause now he has to suddenly, what if his stuff doesn't play up the way that it does out of the bullpen? There's a guy in the twins, Joan Duran, who throws like 103, who wants to be a starter. And he's a reliever and he's excelling. And the twins are not really that thrilled about maybe moving him back to the rotation because he's killing it in the bullpen and that's the role they need him for. Abreu is the same thing. I don't think you're in such a dire consequence that the Astros have to like the Mets did this for a while with Seth Lugo, right? Like Seth Lugo is this excellent reliever. He has a history of starting. He wants to be a starter. Finally, they let him start the one year. And he wasn't that good, even though he had had previous success. So I think you have a guy who, again, has top of the league type skills. He is one of the best setup men in baseball. Why mess with that unless you're in an absolute emergency? And just based on the separation the Astros have with the rest of the American League and definitely the American League West, like there are very few emergencies right now. I saw a story. I don't know if it was somebody's post or whatever. Should we move Brian and Ray? to the starting rotation. And I just commented no or no, something like that. But another thing that surprised me and probably a lot of other fans was the usage of Stanek in the playoffs, hardly used at all. And he, in his ERA was the lowest on the team, I think. 
Yeah, I don't I don't know why. That's a dusty just feel thing because he likes Montero and Abreu was throwing well. And Naris has that big time. Like he was a closer for the Phillies for a long, long time. And so Dusty, I think, felt comfortable with him. But yeah, like Stanek can go. I don't know why. He just happened to be left out. But what does that say about the Astros depth that that's your like fifth guy? Is you, you know, your number five reliever had a one one five ERA last year. So, I mean, from a relief depth standpoint, that's going to help a lot early in the season when guys are still ramping up. But yeah, Ryan Stanek's awesome. And he barely pitched in the toward the back end of the playoffs yeah. because they had four other guys that Dusty trusted better. And to his credit, I think he made like one the whole time, the whole playoffs, he made like one move that didn't work. He put in Montero in a spot where Montero kind of like was shaky. And every other time he put anyone else in any role, like that guy got it done. Yeah, Dusty's moves were, were perfect in the uh, playoffs for sure. One question that I thought of that wasn't kind of in my notes was uh, if you could add a former Astros player who is still a current player to this roster, who would you add? My how answer – oh, mate, oh, go, ahead. go ahead. How realistic are we talking? How expensive can this guy be? um just a dreamland it doesn't money doesn't matter uh let's see my fun answer is jose siri because i like jose siri um (laughs) and he's like the best outfield defender in the league but Chaz is pretty good out there um i i just love him as a defensive replacement and especially now i can't think of like an expensive guy i mean like obviously like you bring back justin verlander would be great or you know like some of these these starters that they've had, like Charlie Morton for, to some degree is still super good. Um, but like, I, I kind of want to go realistic with this. I Jose Siri, like he is the perfect playoff roster guy for two roles, seventh, eighth and ninth inning, put him in on defense, pinch run him. And he, and now with the bigger bases and guys are going to be running more like he's, the fastest or he's like the second or third fastest player in baseball behind Bobby Witt now Corbin Carroll, the kid on the Diamondbacks. Um, that or like obviously Carlos Correa would be great, but then where do you put Jeremy Pena, who just yeah. won a gold glove and World Series MVP? So I don't know. Yeah, stick Correa at DH would be great, but like if we're talking realistically, like Jose, give me Jose Siri as a fourth yeah. outfielder. Dreaming like without money, I was going to say either JV because we may need him, but also kind of like the only thing, the only remote hole that we may have in the, in the uh, offense on the defensive side would be putting Springer back in center field. That would be pretty awesome. Yeah. But Springer's had some injuries and like Chaz McCormick played pretty well. It's, it's crazy how these random almost non prospects have come up and taken over and they're obviously significantly worse than the superstar players the Astros had. Like no one's comparing Chaz McCormick one-to-one to George Springer, but he's not making the team worse, right? And then oh, Pena no. comes up, and Pena was finally toward the end of his minor league career, started to become a prospect, but he's a third-round pick. No one was that particularly excited about him. Correa was a 1-1 pick, and he was the World Series MVP. You know, they just keep replacing these guys. <laughs> like no one's saying he's a better player than Correa. But, like, he didn't make the team worse, and you could argue he made them significantly better, especially in the playoffs. Yeah. So I don't think you need these big, you know, keep guys. And I was a big advocate for keep Correa. Pay him. He's one of the better players in baseball. 
And then Pena comes up and he's great and it just doesn't matter. They have so much in the tank. And I don't know if that's the case now, although there's a bunch of guys right now that can play on what would, would probably be a worse major league team and be good contributors, but don't have a spot on the Astros. Like JJ Matajevic's a great example. You put JJ Matajevic on the A's and he hits like 245 with 25 home runs and is a positive player based on, you know, we'll see how he improves on defense. JJ Matajevic probably doesn't make the team right now because there's only four bench spots and he could probably start on like eight teams in baseball. So a name that I thought of kind of like along those lines and he had a home run today is Justin Dearden. Is he, is he one of these guys that can come from the minors kind of like Chaz kind of like Jake and say something happens, they struggle and just come in and light it up. I mean, the numbers that I saw from Corpus last year were really impressive. Yeah, I don't see why not. I, I mean, I do think he's obviously going to start in AAA this year and, and just see how he does. There, There's a lot of these guys that have sort of come out of nowhere, and he's a decently known within Astros circles prospect. I mean, he's an undrafted guy in 2020, so he's not a whole lot of super hype around him. But he can clearly play. Corey Jolks had a great year last year, and he is kind of nowhere close to getting on the team, which is crazy, right? So, like, there's so much depth there. You look at the bench, you're going to have a backup catcher, whether it's Corey Lee or, or Yiner Diaz. You're going to probably have David Hensley in the Oledmus Diaz role. You're going to have Mauricio Dubon because Dusty loves Mauricio Dubon and he plays four, five, six positions, whatever. And then someone else, which is probably going to be Jake Myers because they also like Jake Myers and he plays outfield. But if not, JJ Matajevic is probably up next. What if you go with two catchers just to like keep that contest going and has Diaz play some first base and Corey Lee and have, you know, one of them as a pinch hitter because Diaz is an advanced hitter. And then we're getting to the, the Justin Darden and Corey Jolks territory. And even, even then, Pedro Leon got paid a lot of money, was hyped up, had really good on-base numbers in AAA, a lot of strikeout stuff. I don't think he's ready, but there's just there's a lot of guys for not very many spots. What do you think about Jeremy Pena's arms? Did they get bigger over the offseason? I mean, not really. I see him a lot. He looks the same. I mean, he does the, he's always been, he's been this big since like 2019. Yeah. He, he worked out a lot of the facility this off season. He also works out with Cressy sports performance in Florida. Um, they had an office up in Massachusetts that he worked out for a while. And then he went to the one in Florida. It's, it's just the angle of the picture. Like, yeah, I, I, I think it's a Full fun, flex. like, yeah, I think it's a fun topic because, <laughs> you know, baseball always needs that that marketing boost. And I think Jeremy's a good guy to build marketing around, but like he, I think he said it in an interview. He's like, I put on three pounds, yeah. which looks accurate to me. Like, right. Like I see him fairly frequently. He's, he's always been jacked ever since I've known him. He is continuing to be jacked. I know rival of Twitter accounts from, from fans of other teams are, are just dying to see something come up steroid related because as soon as the picture went around with that tricep extension, everybody assumed he was using or something to that ilk. And it's just like, I would be shocked considering the guy doesn't drink alcohol or caffeine. So he literally won't drink coffee. We've like discussed this and he's just like, I have energy when I wake up. Why do I need coffee? Like I'm 24 years at the time. He's 25 now. He's like, I'm 24 years old. If I didn't have energy when I woke up, something would be wrong. So like, I just, I don't see, I just don't see it. Right. Like, he, he like didn't lift and his dad was always decently built. So he always mentions genetics. And then he found like flipping tractor tires at Maine and the strength coach at Maine and just got bigger because that's like how his body is built. And then he yeah. figured out, Oh, if I keep working at this, I'm going to look jacked. And so he did. And that's what, but yeah, like, of course fans are going to 
you're like, oh, any guy who looks like this doesn't exactly look like we expect a baseball player to look. But, like, no, he's, again, he doesn't drink coffee, he doesn't drink alcohol at all. So is this guy's going to put steroids in his body when he won't have a cup of coffee? No. There's also that famous picture of him in that hot tub. There is the hot tub. <laughs> he's know. like, our shortstop is Jack. That's what they I think that's, that's funny because that. he's so, like, quiet. But then, yeah. like, he's the one that posted that. That's not like a paparazzi. <laughs> like, like, he made the decision to look at a picture of himself in a hot tub with no shirt on and go, I'm putting this on Instagram. So I think it's funny how he comes off very humble, and he is. But, like, he knew what he was doing. That one picture Carlos Correa posted of him at a workout, that one. That one got me. I was like, this guy's weird. Correct. Which one are you talking about? I, I have to share it with you. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. He's I think got it's the like, one where he's just in the shorts. And yeah, he's, he's got the- shorts and something, and he's got a weird face. I, I'll have to find it and show it to you. That's funny because I was at one of his workouts relatively recently, and I did not notice anything particularly interesting. He was just yeah. like working out. Carlos Correa is not like Jack, but he's a big dude, right? He's broad. He's, I mean, he's the size of an NFL, like an outside linebacker. He's 6'4", 230, which is funny because like Pena looks jacked, but he's 6'0", like 205 or whatever. And Correa's massive. So you, if you stand them next to each other, Carlos Correa is so much significantly bigger than Jeremy Pena. So let's talk about this Cactus Jack HBCU classic. I think you went to that. Yeah. And my favorite player in the world as a kid was Mr. October. Okay. And I used to beg my mom when she went to the store, please get me a Reggie bar. And you were actually lucky enough to not only talk to Reggie Jackson, but you shared a Reggie bar with him. How awesome was that? That was cool. So I think that's kind of one of those, like you're a baseball fan. That's like a bucket list thing, right? There's all these things specific to players. And I'm, you know, I'm too young to for Reggie Jackson to have played when I was growing up watching baseball. My favorite player growing up, I'm a Mets fan, right? So Mike Piazza is my favorite player. So far beyond Reggie Jackson's time. But I know who Reggie Jackson is. I know Mr. October. I've watched, you know, the documentaries, the shows. And it's cool that he's uh, he works for the Astros and he's around all the time. Like he's easily accessible. He is around all the time. You can talk to Reggie Jackson three times a week at the ballpark. It's insane. Like, wish it, I could talk to him. Yeah, like he he's just there watching batting. <laughs> Tell him I want to really. talk to him next time you see him. <laughs> I'll I'll let him know when I see him. But yeah, he was really <laughs> excited about the uh, the Reggie Bar because it's been a long, long time since that's been a thing, and I think they were happy to bring it back. Um, using obviously you know tr- the platform that Travis Scott has to make that announcement, I thought was a good idea. And Reggie was there and and excited to to eat it. It's like a turtle, right? Like. That's what it reminds me of. It's it's not really a bar. I don't know why they called it a bar back in the like early 80s or whatever when he did it. But it's like a turtle. I don't really remember what it tastes like. I just remember chocolate it being round. Caramel, yeah, chocolate, caramel, and peanut. It's basically like a Reggie Jackson turtle. And uh, <laughs> but it was really good. Like I have one sitting on my desk right now that's unopened. And every day I'm at work, I stare at it. I'm like, they sell them now? Or that uh, was just they, a- they will. So once the season starts, they will at the ballpark. It's going to be part of the thing. Once they start selling them and I can actually get more, I can eat the one on my desk, but I stare at it every day. Like, <laughs> God, I'm waiting for the season to start so I can eat this thing. If he could have just signed it for you, that'd have been awesome. I know. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. I would have. No, I'm just <laughs> you got anything, you know, you heard about the Reggie bar there, buddy? Me? No, no. I mean, I, I mean, I, I guess I'm obviously way no older Reggie than you guys, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> That's before <laughs> my time. Yeah, it's kind of weird being this Astro fan and, uh, 
our feelings for the Yankees that when I was a little kid, that that's who I liked. But when I first, when I got into baseball, I'm kind of like everybody else that didn't grow up with a team. You know, we, we like the Braves or the Cubs because they're the only team on TV. They're on. Yeah. That's why yeah. there's so many of those fans. Like, so my, my favorite team when I was a little kid, cause I moved to the U S from, uh, from Eastern Europe in 96, the Yankees obviously won the world series. So I like Derek Jeter, right? Like Derek Jeter was the star the Yankees won. And uh, so the reason I'm a Mets fan is because when I was little, the Yankees were winning all these world series is you couldn't get tickets. My dad couldn't get tickets and he got tickets to a Mets game because the Mets are not the Yankees and tickets were accessible. So I went to a Mets Expos game. They beat the Expos. Armando Benitez shuts the door. And and <laughs> ever since I'm eight years old, I'm a Mets fan because of that. Okay, what about this? Uh, I saw another celebrity you recently met at a Roughnecks game. You met The Rock. Was that yeah, like was a cool. quick thing or you got to talk to him a little while? Uh, just a little bit. It was like an interview thing they had set up at halftime um, because he's running the league and it was the home opener. But he so I used to work in Memphis, my first job out of college, and he got his start wrestling there. And the guy, one of the announcers is the uh, retired meteorologist at the TV station I used to work at. And his like last year he was in TV was my first year there. And so I know him a little bit. So that was kind of our um, before, you know, you do the classic like, hey, you're the rock. Can I get a picture with you? That was our discussion. Like, hey, man, you say hi to Dave Brown next time you're in Memphis. And he kind of gave me a quick story about how he was super nice to him when he was this young wrestler coming up. <laughs> got anything, Tom? I mean, that's awesome. I, I, I didn't know you got to meet him. I just feel like everything that man touches just turns to absolute gold. Like if he wanted to sell his brioche toast with his name on it, he would buy it because <laughs> his name's on it. <laughs> it's like him and Tom Hanks are just sort of pretty universally liked, right? Like you'll, you'll find people who don't like all these, you know, there's people who love someone, people who hate someone. There's Beyonce lovers, Beyonce haters, Taylor Swift, whatnot. Like pretty much everyone likes the rock. Pretty much everyone likes Tom Hanks. Oh yeah. You need to put those two guys together on something like the rock Tom Hanks podcast would kill. <laughs> All right. So we're about running out of time. Did you have anything you wanted to add? No, I'm just looking forward to the season. I think, um, I think that the NL is going to be an absolute grind. I think there are five teams that are really, really good in the NL and then a sixth, if you want to add the Cardinals, who I think are merely good. Uh, I don't think the AL is a grind. I am not scared of anyone in the AL Central if you're an Astros fan. I think the AL East has a few good teams. The Rays are obviously always just quirky and good to some degree. The Blue Jays are pretty good. The Yankees are obviously pretty good. But, I mean, you swept the Mariners in the DS. You swept the Yankees in the CS. There is a clear separation. So if I had to make a prediction, everyone, you know, everyone, because the Astros won this past season, is World Series or bust. Being around this team and covering three of their World Series is two of them that they lost to teams that I think they're better than. I think it's very tough to say World Series or bust, but I think you can say pennant or bust. Astros should win the American League. Once you get to the World Series, then you don't know what happens, but I think they should at least get there. I agree with you, sir. So anyway, guys, we are out of time. Ari, we really, really appreciate you coming on, and I would love to have you back. It was it was really awesome uh, for Tom. And Ari, thank you guys for tuning in, and we will see you next time on Astros Baseball.